Well, howdy, y'all. If you are looking for a CBD-based product that helps ease aches, pains, and inflammation, check out Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream. Each bottle of Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream is packed with 400 milligrams of their water-soluble CBD solution. I use it to uh, massage into an aching muscle. It works, man. Eases it up nice, and it smells great. So be kind to your skin and your muscles and your joints and go to Cosmedicated.com. That's C-A-U-S-E Medicated.com and place your order today. Use promo code SOS20 at checkout and get 20% off of your entire order. All right, show time. Welcome in, guys and gals. South of Scruffy podcast here. I am Ben Fields, and I am the host of this podcast. If you are new here, thanks for being here. Hang out as long as you'd like, and uh, go check out some of the previous episodes after you check this one out. Maybe subscribe to the podcast so you get uh, updates when new episodes come out. I don't know. Do whatever you want. You do you. But we do a, we do a thing here, and uh, what we do is... Is I have long form conversations with artists and entertainers and all types of ne'er do wells, drifters, and roustabouts. And it's always a great time. And uh, today is no different than that. Today was a great time. Uh, I had uh, I had Garrett William Wilde sale on the show today. Uh, that's Garrett, which is his given name, William Wilde, which is his stage moniker, and Sale, which would be his family name. So if they ever name a bridge after him. That's, that's probably how it would be written up and they should name a bridge after him someday. I hope they do. I just call him Garrett. Uh, but there is some initial confusion there on what to call somebody with the stage moniker. It's kind of, it's tough. So, so we went ahead and attacked that right away. And Garrett gave me the story or a story about how he landed on, uh, on his moniker, William Wilde. And then later in the conversation, he, copped to uh to maybe even fabricating that story uh, a little bit while admitting that it was a metaphor for a for quite a tragic thing that that happened in his life that um that pushed him along into into creating the incredible music that uh that he's gone on to create and this was another one of those situations where, you know, Garrett and I could have talked for hours and hours and hours, which we did, um, (laughs) off the mic though, uh, after we were done with the podcast, Garrett hung out for a little bit and we got to know each other, you know, even better. So, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we, uh, heard back or saw back from, from him sometime. He's a great guy and I'm very glad to, uh, get to know him and I'm happy for some of you to get to know him a little bit here as well. So let's get to it. Ladies, gentlemen, Scruffheads, patrons, Garrett Sale, William Wilde, Garrett Sale. We're doing the podcast. Right, somewhere around there. Checky to check. Sam will take care of us if it's too bad. Oh, I'm sure he will. Yeah, I might. I might need some auto tune. <laughs> he can probably hook you up. Hey, he'll hook you up with some auto tune. Yeah, surely. <laughs> There's what's up. <laughs> Dude, uh, yeah. So what's the like? So what's the uh, what, what's the William Wilde slash Garrett uh, Garrett Sale thing? Like you go by Garrett, I'm sure. But what's the? I do, yeah. Is it like your alter ego, or is it just? It, it, was it just the name of a band? Yeah. Um, 
I've got one of several stories I could tell you. Yeah. That may or may not be true as to how that came to be. <laughs> um, yeah, it's changed over time. Um, let's see. The genesis of the name was I started a band um, college time and we were trying to figure it out. It's like the worst task ever to find a band name because yeah. like you spend five minutes like actually trying and then inevitably someone comes up with it starts making like sex jokes out of it or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think one of my like a mentor type people in my life had a kid named William. Okay. And so I started thinking about, I like the idea of bands that you think it's a person, but it's not. Like Leonard Skinner. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that was my main motivation. Um, so, yeah. And then I also had this thought of like, I was leading the band at the time mm-hmm. and I wanted it to be a name that I could kind of shift with like if the lineup that we had didn't stay the same um it could still be your moniker that you could take with you right gotcha yeah yeah so i mean we did it pretty fast it's kind of hard to to remember but i definitely never had any intentions of being william wild yeah that that was not the thing but it quickly became that especially because the group that i was making stuff with when we made the name like dissipated very quickly. Mm. So then it was my photo and William Wilde, which is a name and I'm a person. So I became William Wilde. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I first became aware of you, which was, I heard your name, heard William Wilde and uh, Sam Thomas told me he introduced us via text, I guess a few months back. And I looked it up and I was like, Oh, that's him. And then, and then I started doing some research. I was like, wait, his name's Garrett. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it is, it's your face. It's your, right. you know, it's like it, to, to, to most observers, that's you. Right. Yeah. And it's always been because it's a name and it's not any one, one of our names at any given time. It's become a thing where I'll just tell people, I mean, I'll make up different stories for how it came to be, Yeah. but then I'll just tell anyone that's asked to make something up yeah so there's different stories out there yeah but the main one and at this point i've been telling it so long it may have actually happened and i just don't know but yeah um so there's this drifter guy right like a homeless guy chosen homeless lifestyle that i meet in an alleyway around here old city perhaps Yeah. yeah and um I, I'm kind of always the guy that will talk to anyone that's like yapping at the bar yeah. at the corner. Yeah. Like I'm next to that guy yeah. hearing what he has to say. You'll chime in. So yeah, he's, he's, he's basically prophesying over me as we speak. I tell him I'm a, I'm a musician, which I guess gives him some cues yeah. where to go with his yeah. prophecy. Yeah. But he starts talking about all these songs I, I'll write and all these people I'll influence. And then... He told me his name was William Wilde at the end. And I think, I'm pretty sure he kind of like evaporated after our conversation. You just looked and he wasn't there anymore. Right. And I didn't think much of it. Just got really? another beer. So, And then and then it became him. It became him, yeah. But uh, yeah, last tour, we introduced everyone in the band as William. Okay. 
So, on stage. <laughs> Nobody knows still. No one knows, yeah. Do, do people at shows, do they, is that what they call you afterwards? They yell your name? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. William. Yeah. Yeah, and that actually is a, a big part of it continuing because for a while people would be like, hey, William, I, I want to get a T-shirt or what's your newest record or whatever. And I would be like, well, actually, I'm Garrett. And then I started just getting so tired of the first thing I do in an interaction, like correcting, correcting somebody. somebody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, you just go with it. Yeah. When did it all? When did the when did the thing start? Who? Um, college for mm. me, yeah. At like, UT. UT, yeah. Knoxville. Grew up in Knoxville. Um, sometime late high school, early college, I got obsessed with recording, mm. which is basically how I learned to write songs. Gotcha. Um, you, it was all just what I could throw on a Pro Tools palette, which is the program I used to record. Yeah. So you you entered from the more technical side or more the engineering side? You know, that's a good question. Not purposefully, but um, I think I'm just like a great example of like a modern musician in the sense where like I might write a song on guitar, but more times than not I come up with a basic idea that may even only be like eight bars 16 bars long right throw it into the computer and start building a song and so really the idea that you could do that and be a songwriter was what kind of that was my entry into gotcha. it gotcha because I never really I've never felt like a wordsmith or mm. or like a really um, talented musician really like in terms of chops you you just knew how you knew uh, ideas you knew what you thought were good ideas and and you knew how to get them out there you had to get them in the headphones i yeah i guess really just i i became obsessed with the idea of like this empty like pro tools made a lot of sense to me like you you can record to a click or not but then you have your entire like palette for your song kind of laid out for you and you can just throw stuff at it um delete the parts you don't like use right. the parts you like and it's yeah. just you're just building like a visual i think of it very visually and and that's something that is kind of new ish i mean when you think about as old as music is it, mm -hmm. it was never that easy 30 years ago right you know the that uh, that ethos, that way, and that approach to making music was not accessible, right. you know, for people who, you know, until it kind of went digital, right? right? And you can kind of see track-based stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I, I would I would say that the greats always had it in their head in the way that Pro Tools allows you to see it. You know that they made that, that, they made that program because that's how the greats... Oh, saw it in their head for sure because yeah. you it's laid out just like a mixing console would be in the right. 50s or 60s but then you have all this visual representation of waveforms and you can yeah you can just see the whole thing and yeah I, I think the limitless possibilities of recording on your own 
and building music that way is like what's so inspiring to me. So were you an introverted type kid growing up and sitting in your room making beats and making <laughs> music and all that? I've been trying to figure out if I'm introverted. Me I too. I, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's actually been an interesting thing about doing it um, as a living because uh, let's see introverted yeah I'm a little introverted but music for me is extremely introverted and so there's always been this thing in my life where you've got like your social life like being in high school and college when I like learned how to do it music was always an escape Hmm. so like a way to get away from being social or a, a, a way to get away from the party and kind of be with your own thoughts yeah and maybe not even a way to get away but like it was the way I centered myself Okay. When I was away. Gotcha. So, yeah, I, it was always like my first record was I had this um, one of my good friends had a his grandparents had a lake house that they didn't live in. And so in college for two years, I had this like 4000 square foot lake house just f- to myself. Really? That I had a studio set up in. Nice. And so we'd hang out <clears throat> and I would go out there. Like maybe I might go out there all day, um, but I also might hang out with people until like nine o'clock and then drive out there. It's like 30 minutes away mm-hmm. and just get lost in it. Yeah. And yeah, bringing people into that process was probably one of the most difficult parts of doing this for a living because you don't like eventually you don't have hangout times during the day anymore. All your friends are at work. And so music becoming a full time thing like definitely changed it for me. But I've learned to kind of like hold that sacred time for myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. So do you make most of your music by yourself? Hmm. All your music by yourself? You collaborate um, a little bit. I do. Yeah. I I collaborate for sure. And really great things come out of it. But I don't always feel the freedom. And I also feel when i'm when i'm with people there's something about like screaming into a microphone and sounding like an asshole by myself that is just really comfortable yeah and so i think i'm bringing a little bit of that into collaborating with people like it being okay to to like not know what's going on yeah or like to be okay with knowing that i don't know what's going on um but yeah, there's something about collaborating that I can't get away from. So it's it's a constant constant process of like figuring that out. Do you make all your music by yourself and then bring a band in to play the music that you made? Or do you have them get involved in writing as well? Yeah. So the the first thing you said, writing it and then bringing a band in is what I used to do mm-hmm. exclusively. And now, especially like the music I'm making right now is a full combination of like a lot of the songs will be from like a jam sesh Mm -hmm. with some friends and there will be a slight idea and then i'll go in there and like exploit that idea and build a song out of it and then other ones will be songs that i make on my own gotcha yeah and there's there needs to be that balance for me because it'll i kind of will um it, it just the the project ends up being better for me, like emotionally as well, to have people involved. Yeah. So how many how many albums do you have out now? 
Um, two, two and an EP. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the last one came out, was it this year or last year? It was this year. The day Tom Hanks got COVID <laughs> was the day that fucker came out. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. That's when it all became real, right? So you never got to tour that album. No, we were, we were gearing up. My band and I were gearing up for a pretty extensive tour. Really? And actually this year was the most planned out year of my life until COVID. Yeah. We were, let's see, we were leaving, how'd it go down? We were rehearsing for a tour like early March. Record was about to come out. First show was in Philly, March 12th. And loading up the van, it was the best set that we'd ever done, for sure. Like, put a lot of work into it. Loading up the van, everything was normal. Driving to Philly, the day when we left for Philly that day, I really didn't even know what COVID was. Like, I think I was probably a little bit behind the loop on that, but it was still like a zombie disease to me. Yeah. And you didn't know anybody who'd had it. You, it was just a thing, right? It was yeah. just like this this imaginary. <laughs> yeah, there was no shutdown. Yeah. Not a lot of talk about it. And then on the way to on the way to Philly, just all the news rolled in. Really? Like it was gnarly. Like the NBA canceled their season. Tom Hanks got it, which for some reason sticks out to me is such a big deal. I remember Well, I think that's when it became I mean, it was the first like real big celebrity to get it. You know, I think there was like that NBA player who went around licking the microphone and all that. Right. Rudy, Rudy oh, Gobert yeah. or whatever. Oh my God, I forgot about that guy. <laughs> that was gnarly. Yeah, I remember when all that happened. I think I, it was in like March or, you know, beginning of March, I think it was. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I, I think it was March. But I was in uh, I was in Maine when all that happened. And Maine had only had like three cases of confirmed mm-hmm. cases of COVID at the time. We were shooting a pilot for, or a sizzle for a TV show up there. And, uh, <clears throat> it all it you know the toilet paper shortage tom hanks has covid Jeez. like the whole thing and it was all real and we were like oh, well, i guess we got to get home so we you right. know we 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 stayed a couple extra days not extra days but we stayed throughout the end of our trip and then we uh and then we flew back and we flew through LaGuardia, man. And have you flown through LaGuardia before? Mm-hmm. I mean it is a, it looks like a, the busiest bus station in america yeah. right that's it terrifying, was a dude. Ghost town, dude. It oh, was really? a ghost town, man. There was nobody in LaGuardia. We went to a restaurant. We were by ourselves. People were walking around in hazmat suits. Like it was crazy because New York was particularly hit. I mean, it, after the West Coast, after Seattle and all that yeah. got hit, New York got hit pretty bad. And they were yeah. really scared about it because they live on top of each other. Right. And Italy had been, you know, oh, the, man. The, the canary in the coal mine for, yeah. you know, for New York. And so people were freaked out. And like I called a buddy of mine, I was like, "Man, if I'm if my flight doesn't doesn't uh, he lives in New York, I was like, if, if my flight doesn't doesn't leave or gets canceled or whatever, I'm you know, you mind if I come stay with you?" He's like, "Yeah, I guess, man, but you've been flying through airports all day. Like, I don't know, it's kind of kind of sketchy, you know. Right. I don't want you bring COVID to my house." And I'm like, "Man, this is a real thing." Yeah. And that's probably right around the same time you guys were loading up the van. It must have been. Yeah. Yeah. We. Yeah. So we. We we got to Philly. We also listened to this Joe Rogan podcast where he had this like, oh, some kind of like Is it disease, the infectious disease. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that guy was like super intense. Yeah, like early on too. And honestly, called it to ha- play out exactly the way that it did. Really, which apparently everybody in that scene 
had the same story. Like, right. This is going to be a year, years long thing. Yeah. But yeah, so we roll into Philly and we're just like freaking out. We actually played that show. Um, was there anybody there? There was, yeah. It was a good turnout. And the band, <laughs> I felt terrible for the band. We were opening for a band and they were about to, they're from New York and they, we were about to play Brooklyn Steel, I think it's called, the next day. It's like a 2,000, 1,800 cap venue. So it's going to be this massive show, one of the biggest shows we'd ever played. And so they were like dead set on we're playing this show. Right. But at this point we were like, man, I don't know if that's a good idea. It's a lot of people. Right. And then we're like, can we cancel if the main band doesn't cancel? But then I think that night New York put in the n- nothing over Shelter. a thousand oh, wow. cap. This was early. Yeah. So this was before Shelter in Place was gotcha. going on. But uh, yeah, we turned around. And that was a that was a gnarly experience for me because going into tour, I ramp up emotionally to like mm-hmm. deal with it. Like going back to being an introvert a little bit, like it's an intense experience for me. One that I love and hope to keep in my life, but like I definitely have to be like we're doing this shit and like all the time right. on it. And so to come home and then literally have nothing to do and then shelter in place happens. It was like just a bunch of pent up energy. You were you were ready. You were a loaded spring. Yeah, dude. You know? <laughs> I thought I was gonna be out of town, like not seeing anybody for a while. It's so therapeutic to be on tour. It's like even if I'm in a rough spot in life, like yeah. I mean, nothing bothers me on tour because really? it's just. I mean, maybe like the the little stuff that happens, like you can get annoyed, but like the whole overarching like where's my life going feelings are gone on right. tour. So that was, it was strange. Well, what was the, what was the big moment for, for William Wilde when it, when it started to be a thing, like a real thing? It's like, I think I can do this for a living. Mm. Yeah, that came, that probably came later than it should have for me. What do you mean? Well, later mentally, because I made the first record in college, put it out, um, right before I graduated and I, I came from a big community of people. So like we sold out the first show, we sold out the second show. It's just because you room. had a following just because I had friends, honestly. Yeah. And so it was a little bit of like a false sense of this is working, Yeah, but I didn't have any, like, honestly, it's kind of embarrassing to think back on it, but I didn't really have, I didn't identify really as an artist at that time. And I didn't really have big plans for what my life was going to look like in any way. So that happened and the record did, it didn't, I mean, it didn't do anything. Like we released it locally and people listened to it locally. And then I kind of like burned a few years after that, um, just hanging out like (laughs) post-college and I made an EP and the EP just, I put it on Spotify and it just started like doing really well. Did it get playlisted? It got playlisted immediately, mm. several songs. And at that time, I didn't really know even what playlists were, mm-hmm. which is ironic because that's like all it's about now. I didn't know what getting playlisted was until Wes Bailey sat in that chair right there about four months ago, mm-hmm. maybe, and told me that, do you know Wes? I... I've met him, but not well. He's, he's a beard and high school guy like, yeah, you, yeah. like you and I. Yeah. Uh, 
but Moon Taxi been around and they were doing great. You know, they were they were they were touring, playing big festivals. They were in really good shape. You know, mm-hmm. all making a living as musicians. But he said until one of their songs, "Too High," I mm-hmm. think it was called, got playlisted on Spotify, and then it was just like a rocket ship. Yeah. You know, and and they were already before that. They were getting you know licensing deals from. You know BMW for getting for using their songs in commercials, so they were already a big band. But right. it was like he said that the moment that it all kind of happened for them was the Spotify playlist. Yeah, you know, and and so was that the was that kind of what happened with your EP? That's what happened. Yeah, was that what Morning is on? Yeah, on a smaller scale, that's what happened. I mean, so Morning, yeah, one of the, the songs on Steady Now took off. I mean, I think first couple days like 10,000 streams or something it's got like 13 15 million now yeah I think or something like that yeah that's crazy yeah and those numbers couple you know 10,000 20,000 in the first week is like not a big deal anymore but at the time I was like whoa what the fuck this is crazy where are these people coming from right because the yeah the placing placing thing is just so confusing but yeah that opened a lot of doors well what is what is what is playlisting and what does it mean for an artist yeah it's radio basically it's what radio used to be it's radio play yeah and and somehow spotify is in control of that now yeah which is so they've got their group of tastemakers in sweden or wherever spotify is or whoever they are that are out there actively finding music yeah and they came across your stuff yeah and they threw it on the air quote radio they did yeah and i actually watched it happen i don't think it I, I would say that this happens now to some extent, but so this was my, when I, when I put that EP out, I, I also got into like knowing about Spotify and looking into the analytics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I saw it get on a, a small playlist in, I think Germany. And this guy messaged me on Facebook and was like, well, I thought he was a random guy in hindsight. He like worked for, universal music or something but he was like hey man i just put your song morning on my playlist now he's one of these like european guys who's obsessed with americana okay which is like a big thing in europe like especially with americana you can like tour europe pretty successfully yeah they love our stuff be that like big yeah people go to shows and they just love it uh, which is really cool. So this guy's one of those guys, and he's kind of like a tastemaker in that world for mm-hmm. Europe. But he he her messaged me and said, "Hey man, I just put your your song on my playlist. I really like it. Just so you know, it's going to get a ton of plays." And I was like, "Okay, sweet." Which to me at the time that didn't mean dollar signs. That didn't mean anything other than like, "Oh, plays on plays on Spotify. Okay, big deal." Um, and what he was talking about was pretty minor to what actually happened. So Spotify, I guess they, his playlist like got the song on the map and then they just started bumping it up to these bigger and bigger editorial playlists. Mm-hmm. And the, the editorial playlist are the ones that Spotify curates and those are the, those are the big ones. And so you got on one of those yeah. or some of those. Yeah. And so that, that. And then that's viral, right? I mean, per- then, then people are adding you to their stuff and it's, it's right. snowballing. Yeah. And so. From that, I mean, that that opened doors. Like, I got some a lot of tour opportunities. Like, got to play some big shows, opening for people. Um, so people find you organically, but also in a way that I don't really like. It's a bit of a calling card because it's like, 
oh, they've got 5 million streams. They must be good. Mm. And it's like, I'm glad that I got opportunities from that. But also, like, I don't think Spotify needs to... I'm not, I'm not here to, like, put my opinion onto Spotify, but right. I don't really enjoy the fact that there's streams shown. Mm. Because it's like, man, there's just so much good music that doesn't get the credit yeah. in that way. I, I agree. But do you think that it is somewhat a bit of a meritocracy also in that your music succeeds on its own merit because people don't have to listen to it. They get to choose to listen to it. Right. Do you, I mean, do you think there's anything to that? I do. Because to me, you know, the old model of, you know, whether it's payola or whatever, but getting, getting your song out of, spins at a radio station or a number mm-hmm. of radio stations. Like you have to listen to that. That's the only way that you get to listen to music unless you go out and buy a record. Right. But with, with Spotify and on demand streaming, people get to cast their vote with their click. And so to me, it seems like it's more fair. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I would say that from what I've seen with my stuff and especially since then, Spotify listens to, they they take their analytics in. So like if they put something on a small playlist, though they will pay attention to the likes and the saves. And if uh-huh. it's doing well in some kind of percentage, they'll bump it up. So yeah. they But they, I mean to me that seems like that means people like it. That's organic, yeah. But I think at a time and I think still to some extent, there is a situation where someone at Spotify just really likes the song. Yeah. And it stays there. Yeah. And or like Someone at Spotify is indebted to somebody. So there, then the music industry creeps in, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Then it then it becomes uh, it, people uh, casting influence because they have, you know, whatever it is, somebody in their pocket or whatever. So right. then, yeah, okay, yeah. I get it. So so it's still it, it it's not. Uh, it it still has the same perils that the legacy music industry has. Yeah, you know, it still has the. I mean, payola or whatever it is with, with, with people owing people a favor or whatever. Right. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I can sit here and critique it. And honestly, like, that's what I do in life is like, sit back and like, call bullshit. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Are you a maybe, skeptic? <laughs> maybe that's one of my callings. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, Spotify affords so many people the opportunity to make music and make a living from mm-hmm. it that would never have existed at yeah. any other time. So I have no dog in the fight like yeah. talking about it really. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm on Spotify with this podcast and that's mm-hmm. like, to me, that's kind of a weird thing because I'm not, you know, I don't c- consider myself a, you know, in, anywhere near an artist of the same ilk that, you know, you or, or any other musician who's doing well, you know, is, but there, but you know, it, there is, it's nice to be able to have the, it's nice to be able to have that avenue because it, while it does flood the market, it just in, increases, it, it increases the value of your work if you stand out. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Be- because 
because it's so much more crowded in the in the marketplace and if you're doing better than everybody else you know everybody else gets their shot yeah <laughs> and and if your stuff is gets gets listened to gets saved gets playlisted gets pushed out there organically then that means that it's good right to somebody it means it's worth something to somebody yes. it seems like seems like to me so while i, I do think it is double-edged you know it, it it's it's easier to lower to lower barrier of, of entry for people, but I think ultimately it's got to be good. It's got to be good to give everybody a, a shot. It's great. I mean, music discovery alone for me, it's like I'll get into something like some kind of like African rhythm that I'm pursuing that I didn't know about somehow. And I'll listen to a couple songs um, for like a week. And then lo and behold, I've got a playlist of that shit popping up in my profile that Spotify has made for me. Yeah. A computer made it. And and I'll find all yeah, these... AI made it for you. Yeah, I'll find all this great stuff. And I know that people are finding my music that way as well. Yeah, that's kind of cool too, right? Yeah. And and the more you're on the radar, the more, the, the more likely you are to be paired with a like-minded listener. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a pretty wild world, honestly. I mean, everything from from the way that you're that you're able to, you know, make music digitally now that you couldn't have made 30 or 40 years ago to the way that you can get it out to people uh, pretty, pretty seamlessly. Yeah. Uh, is it's, it's fascinating to me. And to me, it, it really, I think it's a good thing ultimately that, it, that, that everybody has a shot to get out there and prove themselves or prove to themselves that they don't have it. But a question, you know, that I have too is if you go out there and you make something and it's not getting plays, people aren't listening to it. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that do for, for your psyche as a, as somebody who's, yeah. you know, you know, you never got into it. I'm sure to, you know, just to get, to get famous or just to get people to listen to your music. But what does it do to your, to your headpiece, to the yeah. art side, to see that people aren't uptaking your stuff? Right. Because you can see that now. Yeah, you can immediately too, like extremely fast, which I would say is probably one of the biggest things about that. But let me first say, like doing this for a living, there's a couple, there's, I mean, honestly, as many musicians as there are in the world that are like trying to make it, quote unquote, there's that many different ways to do it at this point in time. I feel you. Which is really cool. But for me, like... I'm just such an artist to the core that I can't really chase the Spotify thing and the, and I can't really pay too much attention to the analytics or my art will uh there'll be a sacrifice sure there. So but yeah, I mean you got to have the blinders on. Yeah, I can't like because too especially when you're looking at it long term it's like sometimes I'm going to need to make something that's just not going to be popular. And that's big. And, and I, I just need to make it because it's wacky and it's what I need to do mm-hmm. at that time. And so if I base my life around it, about around the success of it, especially on Spotify, um, that's just not going to be a good thing. But, but yeah, I mean, it's gnarly, man, releasing a song and then, you know, you know, the next day how it did 
and honestly like the first couple days is really telling for like what's going to happen really with it. it may i mean there's definitely scenarios where like it there's a slow grow yeah a little sleeper action going on yeah but if you're playing the game and you're trying to like get that big burst of streams initially which does help a lot it's pretty devastating to not get it immediately has so that happened uh yeah i mean you know after after morning the song on setting out that that like did so well so fast you know everything after that like needs to do that well yeah or it's a feel, letdown to feel the same did you have expectations of of every song that you put out there that it was going to do as well as morning did no no, no but i definitely That's got good. i got into a bad headspace at, at a time um just trying to like uh, recreate that situation because really? those streams are money and if you want like it's pretty hard to like make money on something and then not try and repeat it like you have to have a lot right. of you want to print money right right <laughs> you have to have a lot of respect of your artistry and what it is you're doing to avoid those um, influences well that's what's crazy to me is that you see like especially now with tiktok and all that stuff mm-hmm. people are making what they're making call it art call it whatever you want call it dance videos they're making it they are curating it because they think you'll watch it they're doing what they think you will watch it's it's almost not even like it's their art form anymore as much right. as it is them reverse engineering a way to keep your eyeballs looking at the screen and click the, mm-hmm. the heart button or what or whatever it is. Yeah. And so what you said earlier about, about trying to create art without thinking about how people are going to uptake it, you know, I, I feel like that's kind of a, a bit of a waning kind of proposition in some yeah. ways with, with, with what you're, with what you're seeing, maybe not with music so much, but with, with the way that influencers and people are, are becoming, you know, TikTok famous and all that, yeah. you know, they're, they're making stuff because they know people will like it and they know, Absolutely. they know how to make things that people will like, whether they want to, whether it's the art they want to make or right. not. Yeah. Is that a, is that a tough thing not to chase or to not chase? Yeah, um, let's see. How do I say this? It's not a tough thing to not chase because it's not in my DNA. Yeah. I feel you. But I've like spent a lot of time thinking I should chase it, yeah, and then feeling like an like a worthless piece of shit if for it not work. chasing it. Gotcha. Just because it's available, like there's right. so many opportunities, and so I mean, yeah, I've been in situations with like management and stuff where they're like, you know, it's all in place. Like you've got, you've got the infrastructure, we've got the team. Like just give us the stuff, yeah. and it'll be it'll do good. And it's just like, well, that doesn't really work for me. Yeah, but one thing you said that make, that that I, I've been thinking about, um, I think, and I heard someone talk about this recently, but I can't remember who. But anytime media changes, and I'll just use music in, as an example, but like film and TV fits into this as well. Anytime the medium significantly changes, the content also changes. I feel you. So. Technology, as it progresses, changes music. I mean, obviously, because now we're in this like computer world, and so with music, that has a big influence. But like the way that people ingest the music changes the sound of music. Mm. And it's happened every time. I mean, when vinyl came out, when cassettes came out, 8-track, being able to listen in your car, um, mixtapes, and then especially streaming 
it changes the way music sounds. And I, like, I think that's really cool, but I'm also not necessarily concerned with um, chasing it to too much of an extreme. And I'm not even yeah. really conscious of how it's changing. Right. But Yeah, I think about it with like when film went to digital, for instance, in our business, you know, film was expensive. So you had to be certain that you that it was right when you mm. pulled the trigger because it was money burning, right? Right. But when digital became a thing, it was a lot less expensive. Right. You know, hard drive space is cheaper. So so now people can just roll the camera and go around and shoot whatever they want with, mm-hmm. you know, very little consequence. And it without question changed the medium and it right. changed the things that were made and it which long term changed the way that changed the way that people took in media. Absolutely. You know? Because yeah. it because they saw it that way for so long. Yeah. That it became the new way. Right. So I I, I get that. Have you seen have you seen a big change? So so was it twenty sixteen that the EP came out? Yeah. Have you seen a big change in between then and now? Or is it kind of held steady since then? Oh, in, in the in like there's the way people ingest it and the yeah. technology. Oh yeah. yeah. It's changed a lot in the last four years. Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. How yeah. so? Um I mean First of all, like, this goes along with, like, Instagram and stuff, too. But, like, the metrics of it have – I mean, that's one thing that's immediately changed. Like, when I hit a million streams on a song, it was so crazy. But now you have to have a couple million to even be (laughs) considered (laughs) – Viable. Anything, yeah. And so, like, that that doesn't really – That is what it is. But yeah, I mean, I, I think like the way that you submit your music now, like you got to get it into all the hands of the people that make the playlist before you actually upload it, which is a big deal. Really? And, oh, yeah. How do you do that? Well, there's a couple of different ways, but like the the two main ways are like Spotify has a like an upload process that takes a couple of weeks yeah. that they want you to do. and. That is what it is. But now there's all these like independent distributors who have relationships with people at Spotify. The fucking middleman. And so you got to find the person who can get you in the best. Yeah. But then also like Spotify, uh, every major label has a major stake in Spotify, the ownership. So mm. there's hard connections gotcha. with that stuff. Yeah. I always wondered how how labels were continuing to stay afloat with the streaming era and you right. know, half a penny per stream and all that or whatever it is, you know, I have no idea what it is, but you know, the, the how, how have, how, do, how have labels adapted to, to the streaming world? Because yeah. it's, it's obviously a huge change for them and the whole Napster thing. And when, when all that happened and music right. became free, you know, People, those labels, they still have high rises in LA right. that they that they need to pay for, and they still have A and R people, and they still have, you know, they still have to make the music. The music's still there. It's probably more prolific now. There's probably more of it. Right. So, how do they, how do they stay afloat? The labels, survive? yeah, yeah. I mean, that's twofold because the role of labels 
traditionally was to pay for the record to get made, yeah. which now a bunch of records are made so cheap. Mm-hmm. I mean, the biggest record last year, Billie Eilish, was made in a bedroom. Really? And, yeah, like, I remember when Bon Iver made a, made an album in like a you know one room in Garage Band, yeah, you know by himself, and it became this huge thing. Mm-hmm. To me, I was like, I this is a this is the new frontier for me. Yeah, but so now they're made more cheaply. So now the so now does that mean that the labels have uh, have less of a liability on the front end with an artist? Yeah. I don't know. I, honestly, I can't speak to it too much. I feel like the role of labels is definitely changing. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, it's funny because uh, I love having this conversation, but I've also, like, in the past several months, like, my headspace has changed so much. Um, I've gotten to this point where I'm like the business side of it is what it is and mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything I need to do when the time comes to do it but if I'm littered with these ideas of how the business works when yeah. I'm making the art it's not going to happen gotcha and I have people that can do that part of it for me now yeah so you don't so, have to worry about it that's 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 another that, that's another question that I've always had is like when artists start out, they have to do it all mm-hmm. by themselves. They're responsible for their own marketing they sell their own merch. They, Which is an important thing for them to have you to think? do. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a cut or a, or a pay in your dues type thing. Yeah. But I feel like when you can get to the point where you're at, where you, like you mentioned, have people that can work that stuff out for you, that the art only can only get better from there. Is that is that true or is that it? it yeah, I think. Or do people think, need that grind? I th- you know? Yeah, good point. I think that's the that's I'm figuring that out, but I think it's it's different for everybody. Um, for me, having some type of, I mean, having support in that realm is extremely important for me. But at the same time, having like a very distinguishable interface with what I'm doing the business side of it is a very important too. like some amount of grind is, is, is just like, I need it yeah. so much. Cause I can get lost. I can get into La La Land so fast. So like <laughs> you, you, you need something that's grounding. Having to keep like a certain amount of people happy is like a good thing yeah, for me to, for, to have to do. So you and I have talked about this a little bit, but like, I didn't realize, you know, we kind of grew up in the same area or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but where, where, where'd you get, we went to the same high school, right? Mm-hmm. A few years apart. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, where'd you, did you grow up in West Knoxville, I guess? Yeah. Mom and dad and family and all that, brothers and sisters and all that yeah. deal? Yeah. Um, I grew up in West, yeah, West Knoxville. My parents were pretty normal. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, my parents got divorced when I was middle school. So you split time yeah. deal. Yeah, that was actually a. This is this might take the the podcast into a, it's a fine. deep direction. It's but. fine, man. <laughs> Get deep, deepen it up. Um, part of the William Wilde moniker and where it it came from. This well, basically, that whole story I told you at the beginning was completely fabricated, but based <laughs> off of. This experience with my dad. My parents got divorced. My dad was like an extreme alcoholic. 
and uh, ended up becoming homeless when I was late in high school. Wow. And was like a a bum. Really? Downtown bum. For real? Yeah. And then died as a bum on the streets downtown. When Dude, I was I'm like, so sorry. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It's who I am at this point. But uh, yeah, so that was when I was a sophomore, and that in was college. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Did, so when you, so your parents split, and then were you, was your dad still in your life? No, no. So no? my okay. my dad had a pretty successful business, like a construction business. Yeah. And my mom did the his accounting for him. Uh huh. And he was an alcoholic, bad. And so when they got a divorce and she quit doing his accounting, his he just fell apart. Really? Because his like infrastructure died. Okay. And so he became homeless very fast. Really? Yeah. How, did you know he was homeless at the time when you were in college and all that? Or did you guys lose touch? No, that was kind of a gnarly thing. So I didn't talk to him for two or three years. And then, well, no, maybe two years. And then freshman year of college, he, uh, I got a, I had a voicemail from CARM, the yeah. homeless shelter. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, there's like a pre-recorded message on there. And then they leave time for the person to, who's calling to say something. Uh-huh. But then there was nothing there. And I was like, huh. this has to be who would be calling me? This has to be my dad. And so I went down there freshman year and like met, like looked for him and saw him and like, he looked so fucked up. And how uh, long had it been since you had it been since you'd seen him? A couple years, but his, his, uh, he declined so much that it was like declined. What declined physically? Oh, he physically, physically declined. Yeah. So when I saw him, it was just like, Whoa, just from the booze. The booze, yeah. I mean, he, he, was, drugs? he was doing other stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and just like sleeping outside and like, he had some, he had some rough, uh, he had a rough childhood. And I think like just shit that he never got through. And I really think that like emotional stuff like that can age you intensely, especially in that kind of scenario. Dealing with it. Your so, own yeah. body. He looked different. He looked different. Yeah. And um yeah so i went down there and found him and he was pretty embarrassed actually was Was he really he was like what are you doing here like you shouldn't see me like this and uh was it him him that called you for sure yeah okay yeah he called me and he just hung up yeah he i guess he hung up um i guess he got cold feet i mean honestly he was probably he probably didn't remember it yeah i mean he was yeah it was bad and so that started this relationship of like me like helping him out because at this point I was like in college. Hey, and you're 18 years old, right? Or 19? Yeah, 19 probably. I was like honestly kind of enthralled at the idea. I was like, he's homeless. Like, what the fuck? This is crazy. Like, I want to like, I want a relationship. It wasn't like emotional as much as it was just like I was curious to yeah. kind of like figure out what was going on. Um, and that went, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I would, I would pick him up from time to time, give him some money for stuff. Um, but then it just, it kind of got abusive and bad. Really? He was taking advantage of you? Yeah. Yeah. Just asking for money too much and not doing the right stuff with it, you know? And, uh, he eventually. Did he ever come stay with you or anything like that? 
Did you ever couple, couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly what would happen was, and this is some dark shit. So for all you listeners that are having a good day, like <laughs> keep on going. Um, but yeah, it, it got to where he would, he would pass out basically every day or every other day somewhere in public mm-hmm. and then get a free ambulance ride because he was homeless. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go pick him up. From the hospital? From the hospital at like two in the morning and I'm in college. Mm-hmm at this point so it was getting rough and the nurses were like always pissed at the time too because like it's 2 a.m they're dealing with a passed out homeless dude yeah who who's not paying for anything and yeah. probably isn't respectful to right. them and so i got him into a couple i got him into a halfway house nice that worked for a while it was like six months and then he relapsed so he got sober for a little bit he got sober yeah and then got him into another halfway house and he made it like a year became a manager of it of the halfway house like a counselor hell yeah yeah Yeah, started really doing it and then he relapsed again and it had been we had some struggles at the time um just where i was having to help him out and i didn't really want to and whatever and so yeah uh, he at this final time he relapsed and i took him to his like homeless camp and dropped him off and i cut him off i was like stopped answering his phone calls or whatever well i just told him when he got out of the car i was like i can't do this anymore man like you're gonna have to like get better for you Mm -hmm. like or or whoever you need to do it for for it to work do it for for them or you or whatever and I was like, I'm done. So, and I, and I left him there and he died like two days later. God damn, dude. Yeah. Sorry. Do, yeah. you have, do you have any, um, is there any like guilt about that or anything? No, not really. Did I mean, what, did what you can do. I mean, sometimes, yeah, I, I don't feel, I don't feel responsible. Yeah. Like I, I went, I did so much right. that I just, yeah. Um, I mean, so heavy, man. The main thing that fucks me up is like, just the. You know, he didn't have a dad. Okay, so gotcha. Uh, his dad left when he was two. His just ghosted. Yeah, and mom raised him. Yeah, his mom raised him, and then his mom died of cancer when he was like eighteen or something. So he had a rough go. Yeah, and so the the main thing that fucked me up was just like, kind of getting into the nitty gritty of that and thinking about like what's the point of this like what's the point of someone experiencing that and then like what what why is he experiencing that or just like yeah for anyone like why are some people dealt such a shitty hand of cards and even in in me having gone through that i considered the hand of cards that i was dealt just so incredible like in comparison did you get some gratitude, I guess, from that or appreciated what you what you had? Yeah, I think so. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it, that that honestly, it's, it's kind of funny that I went there talking about that. But it's I haven't talked about it in a while. And anytime I talk about the beginning of William Wilde, I, I think about that because yeah. that happened right around that time. And like, especially at that time, gave me a lot of energy to like do some shit. Just just lit a fire yeah was it yeah. because you was it like a a, a a legacy thing or you like you didn't want it to be in vain or because you had some appreciation that you didn't get the same hand dealt to you that you that your dad had so you better take advantage of it is that- i think there was some of that 
Yeah, for sure. That and also just realizing how unfair the world is maybe yeah made me want to yeah take advantage of what i had and like make something out of it yeah yeah and that was a good moment i've I've since kind of like felt the pain of that experience like years later when there is any context <laughs> in which to like grab a hold of and like for it to be okay to be sad or something mm-hmm. um but i in my good moments, for sure, I, I feel that same way. Well, it feels like that could be the like that that could go one of two ways for a lot of people, and that could like invoke some I don't know some pretty serious nihilistic behavior, or you know some maybe even some like self pity kind of stuff. Yeah, but it sounds like. It sounds like you're you. It's manifested itself in a way that's productive uh, for you, and hell for <laughs> for the rest of the world too. You know, you're giving us some pretty some pretty cool stuff that came from a really shitty place. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think about it that way. Um, I'm not sure how I think about it these days. But I'm grateful for the just whatever that did to me. I'm I'm grateful for to to some extent, and I'm also grateful mainly for just in a lot of ways. Like my dad was a really good person, and mm-hmm. like he did it. He did. <laughs> in some ways, I honestly believe he did as well as he could have really? done. I mean, it's it sounds like it. I mean, he had what? I mean, you grew up in a middle class family, right? He had his own mm-hmm. company. Uh, he was doing well, and then the wheels fell off. Yeah. So, what, do you think there was some mental health stuff there, or do you think it was you know um, just just the booze? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's it remains a mystery to me why some people have a a hard time with substances, whether or not it's a lack of connection in their life or if it's literally like a gene, I don't know. I always wonder that with opiates too, because most people at some point in their life take opiates for some reason, Mm -hmm. knee surgery, wisdom teeth, whatever it is. And some people can never shake it, never get away from it. Yeah. And, and I wonder, is it, you know, is it genetics? Is it education? You know, is it, I know what this can do to me. So I have to stop taking them after I get my wisdom teeth pulled or, uh, you know, or is it, Oh, I just don't have the gene that, that makes me want that stuff. Yeah. And I feel so fortunate to have dodged that bullet, you know, but, but I have a lot of empathy for people who do, because in a lot of cases, there's a lot of helplessness Mm -hmm. involved in that. I think it's a little bit of all those things that you said. I think that, like, for sure there's a genetic component. I mean, I know people who are just so – have so much fucking energy. And, (laughs) like, this one friend of mine, more energy than anyone I've ever met, smokes weed all day. Mm -hmm. And he needs it. I'm glad he does because he's annoying if he doesn't do it. He'd be through the roof. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so there's there's a genetic component for sure. But I think the one thing that I – hold on to about my dad and I try and like bring up in conversation is he had, and I, and I have this as well, but he had this 
unwillingness to accept himself for who he was then and there, for who he had become, he couldn't accept it. So there was a lack of self-awareness? Oh, it was guilt. It was guilt. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I saw it happen. I saw him, he felt, he felt like his life, he'd ruined his life. He felt like he'd ruined Uh, my mom's life. He felt like he'd ruined mine and my brother's life. He was punishing himself. Yeah. Like literally. And I, and I, self-loathing and dread. I've tasted that. I know what that feels like. Yeah. I mean, in my worst moments, I for sure am right there. And, And it wasn't until I had those moments that I really understood like how you could fuck yourself up so Beat much. yourself up. Yeah. Yeah. So, a little masochism. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he fought. I'm thankful for, that he did for as long as he did. He was a great dad until, until he wasn't. Yeah. It's interesting, man. That's a, that's a heavy story, dude. It is. For yeah. real. But it makes me... I don't know. It makes me, underst- it makes me understand you and it makes me feel you know, happy that you're, that, you, that you're pushing through it and using it, you know, and, and also like just telling your story can be mm. helpful, you know, yeah, to a lot of people. And, and I think it can also, I don't know, that whole idea of things can change really quickly, you know, if you're not careful yeah. and um, mental health's a part of it, but also a good support system in place. And, and the thing that I think is really you know, noble is that you, you were there for the, for your old man, you know, I think Mm -hmm. that's excellent, dude. I think that's, you know, but at some point enough is enough and, and, and you still are able to move on and say that you, you know, did, did what you could and and feel okay with it because that could have fucked you up for the rest of your life too. If you had a a bit of, you know, a bit of guilt there that you didn't, you didn't do what's true, you know? Yeah. Or if I would have taken care of him for years, I wouldn't have well, ever yeah, gotten anything done. Enabled him, you know, just <laughs> yeah. enabled him to do it. Something that um, I don't know if you want to talk about this or not, but but one of the things that you know that I think is so cool that you've done um, is you kind of created a space here to create music. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> your studio. Can we talk yeah, about that? Let's talk about the studio, dude. That thing is amazing. <laughs> I had no idea. I went over. I don't know what uh, Sam, producer Sam, was doing over there. Um, what he wasn't tracking um, something was he? What was he doing? He was mixing a project. He was mixing a project yeah. at your at your studio in your yeah. control room with a band from Atlanta, right? Charlotte, Charlotte. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about the tell me about the studio because it is like state of the art. Yeah. You like tore this house into you know, in, into oblivion. It's this, you know, huge vaulted yeah. space with two rooms in it, a control room. And it's, I mean, I hadn't been in many music studios before, but dude, mm-hmm. I could see how that would be an ideal spot for a yeah. band or um, anybody. I went to Scott Miner's studio when he had his spot Great here. place. Awesome place. Yeah. It's a little bit smaller than what you've got, mm-hmm. but like it's same vibe a little bit, yeah. you know, very welcoming, very, you know, warming. What, how did that, how in the hell did you build that space? What what came, how'd that happen? Yeah. Okay. So what's it called? Pink moon, pink moon, pink moon studios. Um, pinkmoonsound.com actually. There you go. Um, that 
so that whole thing, I can't talk about it without mentioning my partner, Will Reagan. Okay. Um, yeah, we talked about him the other night. Yeah, he's a Knoxville guy. I met him round about when I was making that first record, uh, 2014. And basically, like, he makes records. He's got a career in music. And I, I liked their music and his music and um, thought the recordings were cool, but I also knew that they had a studio mm-hmm. over in um, North Knoxville somewhere. And at this point in time, I just didn't know anyone in Knoxville that had studios. So I sought him out, like cold called him, I think. And I was like, uh, I actually took that first record over to him and I was like, dude, can you give me some like mix critiques or something? Like, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Well, how was, how'd you know about him? What was he doing? What band or? Uh, United Pursuit. Okay. Do you know that band? Uh-uh. They're just a local, uh, local band doing their thing. Um, I don't friend of a friend or yeah. something. You I just heard, admired uh, what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. Heard about his studio. They had good sounds. Um, but yeah, uh, a little bit older than me too, and so I just like ad- admired him, and um, we just hit it off. I went over there. He helped me. He loved my music, and I started working with him on his stuff, engineering, and so just through that friendship. We're both obsessed with gear and recording. Eventually, we have so much gear that we're like covering the walls of his spare bedroom and equipment racks. Well, how'd it get to that? Like you guys kind of partnered up a little bit? Yeah, yeah. We combined stuff. He had had a lot of stuff. He was kind of like further down the road than me. And I had a lot of stuff. Um, And honestly, we both love stuff, like music (laughs) stuff. So the the genesis of the idea was like, how do we keep buying equipment, but like make some money on it or make yeah. a return on it, make it justifiable. Yeah. Rent it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Have a studio. Yeah. Use it. Let other people use it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, let's see, that was 14, 15, 16. So that was the first LP and then yeah, and he the helped, EP. He helped me on Steady Now a little bit. Okay. And that's the um, EP? Yeah. 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 We went to Nashville and did some drums on that. And he came and... Uh, did he produce Steady Now? No, he just re-engineered some stuff. Okay. Um, I mostly did it at my house, in my bedroom. No Billie Eilish move. Yeah. Right? <laughs> just a millennial music maker here, man. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. We kept buying stuff. Like, he's more addicted to gear than I am. Really? And... um. Yeah, so we've had two or three spaces preceding Pink Moon, the the main one now. Okay, we had a we had a house over in East Knoxville. We used his house, different places, and uh, just always with the idea to open a space. And the current space came about. It's in my neighborhood. I was on a walk with my dog, and I saw a house for sale for like an insanely cheap amount of money, which only can happen in Knoxville in my neighborhood. I and bought a really cheap house in your neighborhood one time. Yeah. Yeah. That's where people go to buy cheap houses. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we bought it and uh, it became, I mean, so much more than we ever imagined, like both in financial investment and just like sweat equity. 
Yeah, it became like, twice as much or three times as much yeah, money as you yeah. thought it would be. Yeah, and time yeah. too. Like it took so long, a couple years. Um, so you bought it a couple years ago? Yeah. Yeah, I think probably probably three years ago at this point. Maybe 17. Um, but yeah, I mean. So this was when stuff was starting to take off for you a little bit. You were having, you, you had a, you had a career at this point, mm-hmm. legit career. Yeah. Yeah. And, and. And I guess probably we would both agree that like making the record is the most fun part of like being a musician. Mm-hmm. We're both on the same page with gotcha. that. And so in the downtime when you're not making a record, making one for someone else is is very fun. Okay. And cool. That's and good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and, really handy. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And so I I mean, the space it like the mission of it has changed over time because at first it was like well let's just put let's just put the money we would spend on a record into a studio right the and both of us and then right. we'll have a studio exactly um it definitely became bigger than that. like four records <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but since then i mean i would say like my two visions for the space are one I love making records so like it's literally the most fun thing I could ever do is make a recording you know like make something just sound so huge like immediately a band tracks it they come in it's like whoa that sounds so good like if I can make someone else experience that like rush of making a record and if I can convince someone that making records is really fun, then I feel like I've had like a great experience. Dude, I walked into the space and looked around and I was like, making records is fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought looking around. Man. Yeah. That place affords you that as well. Like there's the lounge and the control room so vibey and the tall ceilings. Dude, it the control room. I was like, oh, this is an awesome live room. And I was like, wait, we're just in the control yeah. room. Like, vibey is right, yeah. dude. Yeah, it's vibey. Yeah. It feels like you're doing something. Yeah. It feels like you're doing something. So yeah, that like helping people to enjoy making records and helping people make records. And then um, I'm, I really want it to be like a community space. And the small tastes of that that I've gotten recently have been so good. I mean, you came by the other day. We're going to do something in there. Yeah. Like... I want that to keep happening and I want it to be like a open door. It, it, it is inspiring just to see it, man. I mean, walked walked in there and got all kinds of ideas, yeah. you know, went home, couldn't go to sleep cause I was thinking about it, Hell yeah. you know, and I'm sure that's the experience a lot of people have when they look at it. And I think you're, I think you're well on, well on it to do a lot of good stuff in that room, man. Yeah. What's the, what's the ultimate, uh, or what's the, I mean, I'm sure COVID's messed it up a little bit, but what's the, you know, the short, short game look like? There are people, people booking it out yeah. to, to track stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a godsend for lack of a better word during COVID. I mean, we, we got it up. No, that's not even true. We got it up to like where you could record in there by late winter of this year. So right at the beginning of COVID. Yeah. So we hadn't had any many clients at that point, but we've we've been working in there nonstop the past like eight months. Yeah, this is a really good time for people to work out their 
work out their issues in the dark. You know what I mean? Kind of, kind of figure stuff out. Develop. Yeah. And, and be ready to, you know, be on top of the geyser when it blows up, Right. you know, whenever we get through, yeah, through all this, seems like you're ready. Yeah. Over there. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, we've, we, uh, there's been a lot of stuff and honestly, COVID hasn't really slowed it down. I mean, I, I don't know. Cause we didn't have a thing going before then. Right. Um, Man, but if I'm, it continues on like this, it'll be, it's going to, it's yeah, going to be good. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool, man. I mean, I've, every time I've been to a studio as nice as our studio, it's been like a high dollar day mm-hmm. and you can't really experiment or like, you feel like you're like on the clock yeah. doing something. Yeah. And so to have that space and because it's a Knoxville and it's not that expensive to have, um, you can you give people that experience for a, for a decent? I mean, rate? I guess I'm speaking more in terms of like m- me and Will and like our close, like our community. But even with people coming in, uh, like we just I recorded a, th- a song the other day with someone who like hadn't had much studio experience, and it's like that room sounds so good. I, I just. Yeah, I'm I'm humbled working in there because yeah. we we can try stuff and it all sounds good. It's just kind of, it's just it's 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 a real up up to the game, I guess, in terms of quality. We we're just able to experiment in a like world class facility at this point. It's really sweet, ridiculous. To Are say. you going to record an album in there? Yeah. Soon? Yeah. Is that going to go like uh, take the band in and spend a week, lock the doors? And, and and get after it or, or because you own the place you know does it does it take the pressure off a little bit and is that bad like to not have the ticking clock you know what I mean maybe to some extent but not with my crew gotcha. <laughs> we like to chill <laughs> um yeah we're de- yeah I'm gonna do something so I I may actually going back to our conversation of uh working on my own or working with people this next record I'm gonna I'm making a lot of it like, well, there's some early on demos where me and a buddy made them, but now I'm kind of going in on my own mm-hmm. and I'll show up with pretty fleshed out ideas, um, like demos. Mm-hmm. But we will, right now I'm planning on like a, this is actually part of my vision for the space as well. I'm planning out like a, like a two week camp, so to speak, mm-hmm. where I'm going to get my my band to come in and um, I'm going to get somebody I'm doing a whole thing. So I'm going to get, I'm going to get someone to like make meals for us every night. Yeah. We're going to have like, um, like nighttime activities. So all my band is from out of town um, and I like to keep them entertained and make sure everyone's doing good. Yeah. And that be a part of the studio environment too. Sure. And this is actually something that I hope to be able to apply to like out of town clients that I don't know in the yeah. studio give, so like, give them the whole experience yeah we're working on having like studio housing as well um so they can come people can come from out of town and stay in a house but i really want it to feel literally like summer camp yeah so you you show up you get to your house like you've got your beds made yeah 
maybe even there's a car, like one of our old cars is there. You can drive you back and forth to the studio or a golf cart or something yeah. maybe. They make but, these, uh, me, I think they're called medium speed vehicles. They're okay. like golf carts that go about 30 miles an hour. Oh, hell yeah, and you have perfect. to get them tagged and stuff. I rode in one the other day. I was like, I had no idea this thing exists. It looks like it's out of Minority Report or something. That's probably like the drunk cart that they do in Nashville, like the... <laughs> Go out drinking on a golf cart thing. Is that what I'm talking about? No. Like the party bus golf cart No, I didn't know they had those. Oh, yeah. They got all kinds of shit. Look into medium speed vehicles. When you you go to get your shuttle (laughs) for the- Medium (laughs) speed. It's got a special tag. I'm sure you have to have a special endorsement on your license to drive one. I'm sure. And the the BAC level is probably a little higher on Mm -hmm. one of those or something. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I'm planning out like a two week like record making camp where we work all day. Um. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's is kinda, it going to be for people you know, or is it going to be like a, a a service? Like, like I think of it as like a, they do these. Like, I've looked up going to like fly fishing guide school, and you go okay. to like Montana, and you all stay in yeah. the same house, and you fish all day, and you tie flies at night, and they teach you how to do, you know, they teach you how to row a boat, they teach you how to, you know, do all this kind of stuff, and by the time you leave, you've had a very immersive experience. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to give people? Uh, yeah, that, but also like, a, that sounds a little more like consumer based. Yeah, this is more, uh, they're going to come in and they're going to record an album while they're there. Yeah. And, and I it's want it to be for a purpose instead yeah, of just yeah. to kind of learn. Yeah. I mean, maybe they'll learn something. Probably not from me, but um, <laughs> I bet yeah, just like if you like, let's picture a band in Nashville who can rent a studio in Nashville and they can work and then go home and they go back to work or whatever. Like come to Knoxville. Do a retreat. Yeah. You got a house to stay in. We'll bake in the meals to the cost of the studio and the housing. And it's just like full on record making and you're having fun. And yeah, like I, and it goes back to like, I, I really want people to love making records as much as I do. That's literally all I want. <laughs> That's such a non-selfish way to be. You well, know? it's selfish because I like when I'm having so much fun and no one else is, I want everyone else to be on my team. Yeah. I, dude, I, I do the same thing when I'm, when I'm doing something that's fun and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. The first thing I think is who can I bring along with me next time I do this? Who can I share this with? Like I want yeah. everybody I know to experience this yeah, thing. Dude. Absolutely. That's I like that. Yeah. Dig it. That's what we're doing. And yeah, we're it's we're figuring it out. I mean, we're still in the early stages, you know. But it's super cool. I wanna um I wanna record a podcast in your control room sometime. Yeah, it'll sound very nice and full. I bet you got a bunch of nice mics laying around. We do, yeah. yeah. You have any of those? What are they? SM7s? Is that what yeah. they're called? You got yep. some of those. Three of those. Yeah. Sam's got one. He let me borrow one time. It sounded pretty good. Those are nice. They're, they're, they're good for this. They're good for this. They're also great for rock bands, but no one thinks they're like as sexy as the big, expensive mic. Like a, what 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 is it, a Neumann? Neumann U67. We got one of yeah. those. Do yeah. you? How much does yeah. one of those cost? Um, expensive. Yeah. Like 
A lot. Yeah. I, didn't, I heard <laughs> Howard Stern bragging about his one time. Oh, he's got one? Yeah, that's what he uses. Yeah, they're absurdly expensive. Like over 10 grand Yeah, can be. For a microphone. Yeah, but you, if you get them, you got to get them at the right price. Are they condenser From mics? The right, they are condensers, yeah. 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 That mic's incredible. I recorded a lot of vocals on my last record with that. It's weird because when you listen to that mic in solo, you sing a vocal and you're j- and let's say you're, you're not hearing the music, just the vocal. Mm-hmm. It's not that overwhelmingly amazing. You have to put it with other stuff to appreciate it's, it. Yeah. So it's leaving out a lot of the stuff that some of the modern mics have, like a lot of body and a lot of top or something. Yeah. But when you put it in the mix, it's just vibey and fits perfectly. That's and that, w- that was a thing I had to figure out. Because you spend a bunch of money on a mic and you're yeah. like, you want it to like blow your socks off. Yeah. And it does like in, in the place where it matters. Yeah. But yeah, I can nerd out on the gear shit. All I don't know anything there. about it. I mean, this is the first two microphones I've ever had in my life. So. Nice. They Dude, sound pretty good right now. Yeah, they're not bad. I, I think it's the sound blankets. Mm-hmm. We'll put one <laughs> on this table here. <laughs> Maybe one day this will look as nice as your, as your studio. We'll see. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, we're working on it right now. <laughs> Dude, we leave anything out? We miss anything? Do we need to do more? We need to. I really need a pee. I'm down to do more. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's pee and come back. Okay. Oh, how's your bladder? Good. Oh, yeah. Relieved. Relieved. Yeah. It's yeah. warm in here again. Yeah, it feels good. You drink beer on this podcast? I do. You need me to open that for you? I think I got it. Okay. I used to bite them off. Your teeth look like they're still in pretty good shape, though. Yeah, that was back when I was 15, living in Ireland. <laughs> So, so though you you went to Bearden and then you went to uh, UT. What did you study at UT? Business. Okay. Why? Why? Because my mom wanted me to go to college, and and I needed to figure out something to do. UT's got a really good business school. That's what they say. Did you find that to be true? Um, man, I was so not focused on it. Just making music? Yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much. So my first record, I started making it uh, sophomore year. Yeah. And it took like a year and a half, but that spanned like the end of my sophomore year, all of my junior year, and then some senior year. And so... You just lost your dad too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, towards the end of that. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I basically... I pretty much confronted my mom paid for my college. Yeah. So that that needs to be said. That's baller mom status. Yeah, thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah, my mom's insane. Um but yeah, I basically confronted her with like I'm not I don't need to do school. You you weren't gonna, feeling it? I'm going to do something else. And her reaction I mean, it honestly says a lot about our relationship, but her reaction was so anti to what <laughs> what I was saying. What do you I, mean? Well, she just was like, it just, it, I could just tell it meant a lot for her to, for me to finish school. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So I just did it. Oh, so, so she, she wasn't about to let you quit. Yeah. Yeah. And she'd paid for a couple of years. So it was like. And so how, you had what, two more years to go? Two more years. Yeah. yeah. So you stuck it out for moms. I did. Yeah. And it was, it was easy. Well, I honestly, dudes. I don't know what I would have done. It's funny. It's like, I can rewrite history, go back in time and be like, oh, well, if I didn't go to college, I could have like moved somewhere or like 
started making a record earlier or something, but I learned so much about myself in school. You needed those two extra yeah, years. I didn't know what I yeah. was doing. And people don't know what the hell they are at 20 years old. No. Yeah. Don't know what you don't know yet. It's probably that way for everybody at every age. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, does that mean I'm supposed to know who I am right now? Yeah. <laughs> Still don't. <laughs> so then coming out of college, did you, did the business thing come in handy when the music thing started? Did, it's definitely the question that everyone asks me. Ah, oh, damn it. And for, for the most part, I like to tell them that, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I, I didn't want to ask you the question everybody asks you, man. <laughs> I mean, I it mostly it's funny because actually that's that question's more represented by like the boomer generation of like surely it was worth it, right? Yeah. To do school. Yeah. And I'm sure it was, yeah. But I, the I, time for you was more the, the the experience was more than the education as far yeah. as being uh utility now. Yeah, well like learning just learning to study and stuff. I mean, I didn't wanna do it. But I figured out a way to do it and make music at the same time, which was like a really valuable experience because sure. that's still my life. There's still so much shit I don't want to do that I have to like manage. And even when I'm yeah, doing it full time, music, oh, there's so much shit that I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have to do this. Shit. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to walk the fucking dog right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I mowing my yard? It's bullshit. <laughs> I should have someone doing this for me. I'm a fucking artist. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I do know what you're talking about. Well, we talked about it earlier, like getting that stuff out of the way so you can create. Yeah. Yeah. It's important, but you know, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, school was good. Also, like in terms of launching William Wilde without, without the friends and connections I made in school, I mean, that, that's a big deal, actually. Like, I told you, the first couple of shows we ever played were sold out, which, like, definitely probably pumped me up in a way that I shouldn't have been at the time. Were you opening for somebody? No, no. no. We played the Square Room, 400 cap, sold it out, first show. Yeah, that was a community Yeah, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. Honestly, I can't believe it. I think, I mean, I don't know. It's honestly, like, it's not that... When I think back on it, and even at the time, I knew this. Like, it's not that I was like doing something incredible. It's just that the my peers, the people around me, were inspired by somebody doing something. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they were excited to see yeah. somebody they knew doing something awesome. Yeah, they're like, I kind of know that guy. I'm gonna go to the show. Yeah, and that's a big deal. And honestly, like back to our Spotify conversation, like. I used to, like, when my first record came out, and this is something I've learned recently, but, like, when my first record came out, I did all this, like, quote-unquote guerrilla, like, marketing. I would send that shit to everybody. Like, aunts and uncles, every friend I knew all over the world. Just send them a link of your stuff? Yeah, like, this is coming out tomorrow, or, like, hey, if you could post about this, it would help me. Yeah. Whatever. Um, Just a a small ask. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like eventually it it came to be where it's like well um i could do all that and get like a a, a decent amount of like plays on my first day or whatever right. it, it pains me to even talk about it that way but yeah. 
But then it became what's like, well, if we if we just like work the playlist algorithm the right way and get it into the right hands, we can get like 20,000 streams in the first yeah. day. So now you're into ROI world, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, it's, it's better for me to work on the Spotify side than it is to work on my grassroots. Right. But even though the numbers don't always show the benefit, there's so much more benefit in like actually connecting with people with the stuff you're making. Because sure. like everybody is so invaded with new stuff all the time, mm-hmm. videos, music, whatever, like a, a text or an email from someone that you know, maybe you even just kind of know them, but it's like written to you like, hey, I made this and I want you, wanted you to hear it. Like, yeah. that's so much more personal than anyone yeah. experiences nowadays. So that's kind of like, I haven't really had the opportunity yet to like put that new philosophy into play, like when I release new music, but that's definitely something I'm going to be thinking about. And even when it comes to um, album rollouts and stuff, like I want to do a big local thing and, and like include local businesses and include I- anyone that's willing to be a part of it, honestly. Yeah. Not, not just make it kind of a commercial facing endeavor, but also right. something that help helps the people you see every day. Yeah. You know, helps people, you know, yeah, that's that, when I, when I make stuff, whether it's like a uh, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a film or whether it's a commercial that I'm proud of making, you know, I can you know post something about it all day long, and you know people will watch it and whatever. But something about sending it to your grandmother, being like, "Hey, yeah. I made this. I'm proud of it. I want you to see it." Check it out, you know, and sending it to your friends and saying, Hey, check this out. I want you to see it. Those are the people that, you know, it's meaningful for and, and can also, I don't know. Those are the people that'll rep you to their friends. Sure. Yeah. You get, when you get a personal message, I mean, this, I'm not, I don't want to talk about this from like a marketing standpoint. Yeah. Because the main no, thing I is feel like, you because it can, it can really feel disingenuous or like it can feel weird quick yeah. talking about it that way. But yeah. I see what you're saying. But it kind of it's in the same vein as like playing a live show. Like there's so many bands who have never really been that into them, but I somehow found myself at their show and became a lifelong fan. Sure. Cause I had an experience with yeah. them. Yeah. It, it feels, uh, it's intimate, Yeah, you know, and, and you felt something together. Yeah. Uh, same way. And that's why music festivals have always been awesome for me because yeah. I can go to something that I wasn't planning to go see uh-huh. But I'm there, and I'm able to take in a new artist and be in and, and experience something. And you know, they could be a flash in the pan. They could be some somebody who makes music for a few years and then goes away. But for some reason, I've got a connection to them, and yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll still hear that song, and that song's still spinning around somewhere, you know, on shuffle. Yeah. And and you know, you, you you feel that experience that uh, is, I think, what makes that what makes the the fan music experience uh worth it and and it's the ethos of it really for me is yeah. is that whole thing that they share together that you can take yeah with you forever yeah the festival situ- situation is a interesting case study with that as well because let's say you're talking about Bonnaroo maybe you bought a Bonnaroo ticket for like two or three bands 
that you wanted to yeah. see. And so you have this high expectation of their show. Yeah. But for the most part, all the other shows you're going to, you have no expectation. Yeah. So you have no, you're not bringing in any type of bias trying to get your value out of it. Right. So when they win you over, they win you over so authentically. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that happens at live shows a lot, too, because a lot of people just tag along to live shows. That's a really good point you just made, though. You don't have a lot of investment in a band you've never heard of. Right. And so they don't owe you anything. Yeah. That's a good environment for for an artist that is not well known yet to, to be in. It's a test, too, because when people buy tickets to your show... They'll sh- they'll shut up when they need to, just out of respect for themselves, <laughs> yeah. for the twenty bucks they spent, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But when it's when they didn't and they're just having a good time, it's a test. You got to win them over. That's a real, like winning over a crowd that you that doesn't, that doesn't give care. a shit about you. Yeah, is a big deal. I bet. Yeah, I wish I had some secrets on that one. I definitely don't. Again, I think it's got to be merit, right? It's just got. It's got to be good shit. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, presence in a show like that, like we've played some festivals where you can, no one cares. And maybe we're playing like a downer set and everyone wants to be like uppity. And there's a temptation to try and win them over. Harder. Meet, Meet them where they're at. Yeah. Harder, faster, louder. Really? But it's always so rewarding to just sit back and give them the space Mm. to accept what's happening. And, yeah, respect yourself enough to not try and twist your art to fit that scenario. Yeah, I mean, I... I'm a big jam band guy. I like like going, seeing extended jazz improvisation rooted right kind on. of stuff. And a lot of that stuff feeds off the crowd, I think yeah, a little bit. And um, so I kind of see where that it's kind of antithetical to what you're talking about, which is letting, letting my stuff live in the space it wants to live in mm-hmm. and letting them either meet me or not. And if they don't, that's okay. Right. But I'm still going to create what I'm going to create create yeah and it seems like that's a ballsy space to play in yeah it is but you know bringing up the jam band thing that's a big um let's see that a jam band as opposed to a songwriter as opposed to a band that is songs yeah it's all that's it's it's yeah you're right it's really different and so I think that that's kind of the that's what separates a lot of music for me is like when it comes to live shows is like a jam band yeah that's basically all they're doing is riding the wave of the crowd yeah in this like, and creating the wave of the crowd yeah too. yeah 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 they'll they'll literally shift it when yeah. they want it to change sure. Yeah, and the and a band that has songs, mm-hmm. so they can't really change it because the song is arranged. Yeah, a band that can do that with songs is like live show mecca for me. Really, probably. So who's who's that? Who who's who's the top of that game <laughs> for you? Is it somebody of 
ever heard of? It, well, what's interesting about it is like when you get to the top of that game, just your presence already demands all the respect you right. need. It's just eyeballs glued to you. Yeah. And yeah. I'm probably not the best person to ask because I'm not necessarily like a live show yeah, guru. Right. Um, but I, when I say that, I'm thinking of like the great, like the great modern big bands, like Radiohead or U2 yeah. or something. I I've, I've been to both of those. Um, and it's, I mean, honestly, those shows are so designed that it doesn't really fit this little paradigm we've created. But yeah, I mean, so I, why do you do it? Why do you put, play live shows if it's not a space that you're necessarily digging? Yeah. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not not digging it. Okay. I just am not like a show head. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, but um, so you'll go see a band once and, and be like, okay, I've seen it. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna. I just love records, man. Yeah, that's the main thing. I love records. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can get lost in them. I can go on a drive and have my own thing. I guess we're finding out I'm an introvert on this podcast. I, they, I, I, I'm, it's starting to sound a lot like it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you have pressed some stuff on vinyl, haven't you? Yeah. What yeah. What did you do? My first two records are on vinyl. Okay. The, the, the first LP and the first EP? LP and the EP. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and then the last one will be, we, we called it off when all the tours got canceled just cause yeah. you need to make some Who money presses back. that stuff or where does it get made? Where does the vinyl get made? There's a few companies that do it now. Um, at first the demand was so high. It like took so long to get stuff. Yeah, I bet. I bet the, it was like a sleepy little industry that had been asleep for 30 years and then yeah. it becomes hipster cool to start. Yeah. Like six months to get what you need. Yeah. Um, but I haven't handled it in a while. Um, I'd probably take that into my own hands at this point on the next record, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I know there's like United pressing does it. But yeah, I wonder is vinyl still like as big as it was? Like I don't know. I'm I walked by a a pretty long line at Lost and Found Records the other day. That's cool. Yeah. Standing out on the sidewalk all lined up 6 feet apart. That's cool. Yeah, I was yeah. happy to see that. I mean, the thing the thing that I love about physical music, physical media in general, is just the amount of de- attention it demands in the moment. Like um just to hold it, just to have it in your hand requires you paying attention to it. <laughs> well, there's that, but like putting it on, it's like the one thing, again, like streaming is incredible. I love it. But one thing that I do freak out about sometimes is like if people listen to music the same way that I listen to music, where a song will come on and I'm just like, nah, and I pass <laughs> Next. it. And I'll pass a few. Yeah. I'll try a playlist that's not working or I'll try a new record and I'll get to the second song and I'm like whatever the thing that I get bummed out about sometimes and I try and be diligent about this but like I used to go down to the disc exchange here in Knoxville all yeah. the time buy a CD and sometimes I would I would do it like weekly and not even know what I was going to get and just ask them like give me something good and like when you invest in something that way you put it in your CD player it's just there you go to a lunch thing you get back in your car and you're still on song four halfway yeah. through and and that kind of investment to a record i miss that so much i'm trying to recreate that 
yeah in my own well i think that's probably what what drew people to vinyl too was that exactly yeah yeah. i'm gonna do a side here but you know i mean we're we're kind of lazy now so flipping it over you know 20 minutes in is you know bummer for people i don't know like what yeah it's become so automated to where you can just press go on your phone and it gives you exactly what you want to hear all night long right you know to where people you know going to flip stuff over right seems like it seems like the juice ain't worth the squeeze for a lot of people, <laughs> you know, but sounds, yeah. it sounds good though. It does. Have you, do you, can you tell a big difference between listening to your stuff digital and listening to it on vinyl? I haven't, you, I haven't spent a ton of time dissecting my stuff. Yeah. I wonder, do you vinyl. even just like not listen to it? You just make it, put it out there. <laughs> I definitely listen to it. Um, but on vinyl, not, not in the same way. I mean, yeah, I mean, by the time it's done, I've heard it so much that I can't even, I'm trusting in some divine thing that it is good. That it's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just have no idea. Yeah. I'm the same way with with stuff I work on. By the time I'm done with it, I'm I'm, I'm so ready to move on to the next thing. Yeah. That I, I... I can't dwell on it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So that that makes me think of creatively recently a big breakthrough that I'm trying to, that seems to be like a big deal for me is making stuff. So I'm a bit of a visionary. I get an idea and I see the whole way it's going to come together. And sometimes I have a slight let's see, like apprehension to making it happen right then and there in the moment. Cause I'm like, so does that mean you don't start on it? No, that means that like, like in a music situation, it'll be like, I'll be, maybe I'll be cutting a vocal on a song and I'll just, I won't go for the final vocal because of this like grand vision I have. Like I need to do this in a studio or I need to do this. Mm. Like, cause I'm, I'm recording at my kitchen table right now. Right. I have, it's funny cause I have this massive studio, but for some reason writing songs at <laughs> my kitchen table is like what I have to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so recently, you're not ready to give it your all because you know that it's not the perfect way you want it. Yeah, it's a little hard to explain, but yeah, it's like the room tone in here is not great. But the flip side of that is like my emotional state is perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. And my newness to the song and my like obsession with the basic idea will never be as strong. So I should just do it. Fuck. So yeah. So anyways, <laughs> my whole thing recently is like working in very intense sprints so like eight hours all in don't second guess anything don't even try to enjoy what i'm making because i can i can become i can fall victim to like making a song and then like calling it quits and then like that whole night i'll just like listen to it over and over or whatever but really what i've been finding recently this is going back to keeping the objectivity working in sprints turning shutting it down at the, whenever I've said that I'm done working on this, being done with it and literally not touching it, maybe it's just that night or maybe it's two days. And then when I pull it up, if I can just maintain some kind of distance from it, 
like compact the work into short amounts of time and then come back in and there's a surge of objectivity when you when you so is it is it because you sprint you work on it and then you're too close to it you back off and you're able to approach it with objectivity yeah the next time yeah but 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 the main thing i'm trying to say is is that yeah once you lose objectivity being okay with shutting the door Mm. and and not going back because i remember this ernest hemingway quote he was talking about writing and he was like as soon the only time i quit writing is when there's like one last thing i want to do but i won't let myself do it i'll shut it down because i want the idea to still be there when i close the door i don't want to be out of ideas when i close the door and so then come back and you're gonna see it you were in this like fucked up like flow state when you were making it which probably yielded a bunch of really great ideas but it also you lost you don't know what's happening really so when you come back in i, I always find and and really this is with music but i'll work on a song for like eight hours if i can just shut it down and not listen to it for like two days i'll come back in and in 30 minutes i can make that song go up by like 25 percent yeah it, it's uh have you read the uh the uh, war of art not the art of war but the war of art yeah i have that's a it's kind of a a similar a workflow to what that kind of talks about a little bit which is like create and this is just way out there and heady but like creating in a way that that works for you and identifying that first and foremost so you have a framework to work inside of yeah this figure out the first thing you need to figure out is not what you want to create. It's how you create in your resting state. Like what is, what is, is it two hours at a time? Is it stay awake for three days and do it and then don't do anything for a month? Like what's your, what's your way that you create? Now you have a framework to work inside, but identifying that first is like a way that for me has been, you know, helpful to at least have some self-awareness when it, yeah comes to when you're most fruitful. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of his, a lot of what he's saying is like, create a time where you show up every day. Like he's a big, like pull yourself up by the bootstraps yeah. kind of guy, which can go different ways for different. What's his name? The dude who wrote that book. Oh, um, I can't remember. I can't either. I didn't, eat, there was no chance of me getting it when I was trying to get it. Either. <laughs> um, but his whole thing is like, show up and, and there's a lot of artists that are like, oh, I, I work when I'm inspired. Well, right. I think I subscribe to the show up thing every day or w- whenever you say you're going to show up. Work by appointment. Yeah. But for me, the real thing is to shut it down when it's over. Because mm. I can do this like I'm kind of working all the time yeah. thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the not same actually way. getting anything yeah. done. Yeah, it's the work-life integration thing. It's where it just there's no more lines. Yeah. There's no more hard stops. It's all just all the same thing. Yeah, That can be harmful a it little can, bit. It can be, especially when we're talking about objectivity because... Or even when you talk about something like having a family also to where it's like you need to be able to turn off work when you're at right. home and you can't turn off this, yeah. you know, this these ideas, these things that are out there that you need to be making. Right. Well, that's a good way to think about it. That's a good way to think about it because if you're working, I mean, you've got your work, you've got your family life. You can kind of be, if you're not diligent about shutting them down, 
you can be shitty in both. Yeah. And no one wants that. <laughs> yeah. I don't want that. I can do that, though. <laughs> I can, too. Like a champ. I'm super good at that. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fascinating to think about. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I mean, it take, I mean I, I've been on this. I guess it's kind of a trope at this point, but just the joys in the making <laughs> presence really? like right then as much as i can be right there with everything is like my shtick <laughs> when we tried to when we tried to get together and do the podcast or when we first got introduced to each other is probably 3 months ago a couple months ago yeah you had a couple trips coming up and you'd left town mm gone to do something, finish a record or yeah. something like that. What was that? What, where'd you go? What, what was that I deal? To, I went to Portland, Oregon. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, it, it's funny that I need to do that, but I, I work on music all the time, especially at this new studio. And so somehow, somehow I've created this situation where to actually work on music for myself, I have to like get away or something. Yeah. So I tried to find, I tried to find a place to stay for a long time. I, I want to do, I like to do writing retreats. retreats. I'll take like a little laptop setup. Just guitar. You? Yeah. I'm very fine with being alone for quite a while. Acoustic guitar. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, well, I won't say that. Well, maybe I will. I bought an electric guitar when I was in Portland on a, uh, from Guitar Center and then took it back when I left. Oh, oh, and then they then they went, they went bankrupt like a week later. <laughs> it was a rough thing. Dang it. Um, but yeah, my, my buddy lives in Portland and uh, he was going to be gone for a month. So I went and stayed there. And uh, it's funny, I didn't actually get all that much done, but it was very uh, personally fulfilling to be up there. It was like, Portland's fall comes early. It's was like it on fire September. when you were up there? No. Yeah, okay. good point. So when I was going there, it was like the worst place in the country to be, like riots, fires. Or were there riots and fires at the same time while you were there? There was. But if you went by what the vibe was like off the media compared to what I experienced. Big difference. Yeah. That's I, strange. I literally went around trying to find the riots just to see what they looked like. Yeah. Couldn't find anything. Couldn't find evidence. It's probably on green screen at some news <laughs> studio. They were playing some stock footage. God. Oh, it's stupid. I can go that far in, in certain states, but I'm not I'm not willing. It just, I, yeah, it just, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I, that shit gets blown out of proportion. But, but, it, but you were so you were out there, and you were you in the middle of the woods somewhere. I've, I've got you with your electric or with your acoustic guitar, maybe your electric guitar from Guitar Center. Yeah, and your laptop sitting out there writing music. I Is grew a six doing? inch beard that week Did just you? for that experience. <laughs> um, yeah, and, I mean, it kind of felt like that. Uh, my my friends live in a like a cool like downtownish neighborhood, but they're they're right next to a park. It's called Mount Tabor Park. Mm -hmm. And it's like a, it's basically a park that's a mountain. And I would walk there every day, every morning. Um, like every tree is like five feet wide. You kind of feel like you're a little, like in a little mushroom land or something. You yeah. see the people, they look so small. 
It was very healing. Yeah, beautiful. I didn't see any smoke, but there was the fires were still going. I think they had kind of cleared out at that time. Did um, you finish the record? No, <laughs> no, no. And uh, and um, I probably could have predicted that. It's funny because as I've, I basically every year, every record, I come up with this like scheme of like, I'm gonna. I'm going to bear down for three weeks. I'm going to get this shit done. <laughs> I'm going to record all these parts and write all the lyrics and all this stuff. And I like, I went up there and I basically like hung out, hiked and wrote like two new songs. Nice. And didn't finish I mean, anything else. <laughs> well, but that's all right. Like yeah, who no, knows what those great. two songs will be, you know? They're my favorite songs so far. When so. are you going to record them? Uh, they're, the recording is, is started. Um, I mean, just scratch stuff or like, yeah, that, there's a fine line with that nowadays with the yeah. way that we record. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of what's on there will end up on the final recording. Um, and actually one of them, I'm kind of just wondering if it's just done. Really? Yeah. Just what I did up there. Yeah. It was just Dude. in the living room. Get um, it on your phone or something. I kind of want to hear it. <laughs> I could show you uh, <laughs> out by the fire okay. later. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm a little romantic about getting away and recording. Well, and, how long till the next record? I mean, you see now, you know, three years was was what you'd kind of expect. Two years was kind of what you'd expect maybe between mm-hmm. album releases. But now it seems like you got to move a little quicker. Yeah. You got to keep putting stuff out. Yeah, is to that, keep up with the game. That's what it seems like. Is yeah. that right? I think that is true. I mean, listen, there's always the way to correctly do it financially. But but I'm kind of like gotten to this point where for me to be... I, I, I'm kind of swallowing the pill of being a lifestyle artist which doesn't always fit into what you should do. So I'm trying to find a middle ground too. Cause I'm not, I'm also not going to be like a martyr. That's like, shut up. I'm know. making my art in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, man, I'm telling you business school. I know it's a cliche question I asked. Sorry about that, but it sounds like it paid <laughs> off, man. <laughs> it sounds like you're thinking a little bit. <laughs> yeah. A little too much. Maybe I, I wish I could go back and erase those memories. No, it's probably good that you've got some of that, like, just a little bit of understanding, a little bit of grounding in the marketplace. Yeah. And understanding it. Surely. You know? Surely. To some extent. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I told you our tour got shut down. Yeah. At the beginning of COVID. We've been, I've been, I've made so much music since then. Can you, can you make music when you're on tour? Or is it just like, no, I'm on tour. I can't. I riding. I think the tour would be a really great way for me to make music and has been at some times, but at the level we're touring right now, you're like you're kind of surviving to be to be honest with you. I feel like What do you mean? Well, just in terms of 12 passenger van hotels like you're just kind of making it work like there's yeah. not a lot of downtime like right and like i said it's really fun i mean 
not being on I think I think part of the reason I went to to Portland for three weeks is because I hadn't gone anywhere in so long. I'm so used missing to, the tour. Yeah, dude, I'm so used to just my life completely changing, like every month, you know. Yeah, or every day if you're in a different city every day, or yeah, you know? yeah, just the new experiences. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like the when it's like lately touring, or I shouldn't say lately because it hasn't been this year, but like the past couple of years, it's me and three other guys, and it's like such a good hang. And we just, I, I love the idea of us riding or me riding even alone, but we're honestly just having a good time and we're grinding. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I know that this has been probably one of the hardest eras on, you know, artists, musicians, mostly with COVID going on, not being able to to tour, not being able to play live shows, not being able to, you know, really safely gather to even record in some cases. So Mm -hmm. nobody's had it rougher, I think, than the, than the music industry through all this. And I'm really appreciative that I think there's going to be this, this explosion of creative, (laughs) of, of music that comes out of this. I think there's going to be this, yeah. th- there's this, this pent up stuff. I think it's going to be live shows. I think it's going to be albums that drop. I think there is some, there's some kind of, you know, uh, some kind of unrealized creativity happening in the, in yeah. the music space right now. And I think it's when the, when, when things get back to it, it's, it's going to be a golden age. Yeah. Of music, I think. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I hope so. I also think that it will look different. Like, I, I mean, well, here's an example. We've got William Wilde has shows booked for April and May that I haven't announced yet. 2021. 2021. And I have no idea if those shows are going to happen. Right. And I remember like getting those dates. So we booked shows for the whole year. And then we even had some in January, February. This year? Yeah. And we just like slowly as they came closer would cancel. Cancel them a couple weeks yeah. out. And so now it for the first time I was put in this position of like, okay, so this has been my life for like three or four years. We go out on the road. Like sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's beautiful. Sometimes it's terrible. Do I want to jump straight back into this? Slash, are people going to come? Right. And so I know that facing those questions, a lot of other people are facing those questions. Everybody is. Yeah. And so then that makes me think, well, maybe we're going to see, like if this pans out in the way that I would like, we're going to see when they return, we're going to see another level of like, like, why go out? Well, because this show is happening. Like, you can't believe this show they're doing. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. I think that there is going to be this overcorrection yeah. <laughs> that happens when people are able to get back out there. Yeah. Both from the consumer side and from the artist side. I mean, I think the artists are going to bring it because they've been yeah. pent up. I think the fans are going to bring it 
because they've yeah. been pent up. Yeah, call it an overcorrection or call it a return to like community-based experiences, you know? Yeah. Like, but I think it's going to be more than that. I think it's going to, I think it's going to be, you know, exponentially heightened. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I think people realize how much they miss engaging with music in particular. And I'm talking about the live space, Mm -hmm. you know, but I kind of think that's something that people miss a lot and that they they took for granted for a long time. Mm -hmm. Even going to see a band you don't even know, you know, even to go see some guy in a coffee shop playing an acoustic guitar on open mic night. I mean, there's just this this stuff that we're we're not engaging with right right now. We're turned to our phones. We're turned to computers. You know, God forbid the internet goes down. What are, what are we going to do? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's our, that's our world right now. Right. And so I think that when we get to in, engage again with music in a, in a person to person kind of way, I think it's going to be pretty special. Yeah, I agree. I, it's funny. I have, I've not thought about it so much because I feel like I'm scared to get too excited. Cause like for a while I was like, man, what if this is just the new thing? We just don't go out. Well, there's a there's a pretty good likelihood too that it's just a slow drip back into normal, and it becomes right. like uh, NASCAR was after the after the uh, uh, the recession in 2008. It's like when people didn't have disposable income, they stopped going to Bristol Motor Speedway, mm-hmm. and then they realized that they didn't need to do that every year. And so, you know, those kinds of sales have dropped, you know, NASCAR sales have dropped 10% every year for the last 10 years. Ticket sales have because pretty much because of the recession that happened and people who had been piling up to go to this stuff and just can't live without it. Wow. They go without it for a year. And then on the back end of that, it's like, well, you know, I'm still kind of recovering. Like, I don't know. Do I feel safe going out and standing yeah. with a, you know what I mean? So yeah. it might be that kind of thing too. I, I don't know. I think that's, yeah. I think I've felt that. I've felt that. Is that what you're scared of a little fear. bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, maybe. Does we, it not feel comfortable to go stand right next to somebody who's smoking a cigarette on the front row yeah. of a concert, you know? Well, And, and it's you're straight, sweating all over each other. It straight up doesn't feel comfortable to stand next to someone at all right now. No, so it's it gonna, doesn't. It's going to take some time. Right. So what kind of like social impact does this have too? Are are we the right. coronials, you know, <laughs> that, <laughs> that won't come within two feet of another human being for the rest of our lives? Yeah. You know, I'm sure know. you've watched some like TV shows where someone walks up and shakes hands and you're, and like, you're like, whoa, what the fuck? Exactly. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It, 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 that's, that's a really quick, representation of how much our psyches have been affected over the last eight months yeah or however long it's been dude you know what i was thinking about the other day i saw that in a show and i i they hugged and i was like it shocked me but then i was like man things are changing all the time and since i've been a kid like technology has changed so much like in one 
eight month period of COVID, I'm shocked to see people hug on a, on a TV show. Right. Exactly. That's a that, that's that's a big thing. Like that's a big thing for you or for you to change to think that hugging is weird. Right. Over the course of eight months. So what else could change? Sure. That is less substantial. That would be just as shocking. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, if you would have shown two men kissing on TV right. 30 years ago, people are freaked out. Yeah. You know? We're malleable animals. We are. I guess that's good with the I men kissing is. thing anyways. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's just good that we that we that we adapt. And yeah. our and 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 our ideals are, you know, people's convictions are static, but like a lot of other things are fluid. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of what we what we find acceptable is fluid, and that's probably good. It helps us survive. It's why we're the ones that are still here. It's why yeah. we're the ones that build houses and have electricity, right? And aren't walking on four legs. You know? Yeah, yeah. We, it, it, that's we change, right? You know, we we move around. We make it happen. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think of maybe this is off topic, but back to the like. The live shows, the best thing about a concert, it, for me, there's so many people. The music is so loud and the experience is so surreal a lot of the time that you're not thinking about anything other than that show you're at. And it makes me think of how... how um, how that never ha- does not happen during COVID. Like there is no version of that for me. I mean, well, okay. That's drawing a hard line. Cause you can watch a movie and you can disappear, but, right. but there's something about what do you think it is? The all, energy from everybody else that's in the it's room. It's people, dude. It's yeah. people. When everyone is singing along or everyone's jumping to the same beat or everyone. You go into sh- underwater world where it just feels like you're. Everyone's <laughs> shocked by the same bass drop. Like that's a real thing. Yeah. I, I that's like honestly that the communal experience of 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 crowds is like one of the things that keeps me spiritual <laughs> like at this point in my life because I'm like what's going on there there's something at play here that is intense mm-hmm. and maybe it's like maybe it's, it's synergy from each other from the people that are next to you yeah from the band on the stage it literally, You're all feeling it, it literally might be physics, it, but it, <laughs> but it's gnarly. Yeah, that's what I'm excited about and worried about too, right? Yeah, I guess so. Worried it might not come back. Yeah, I think it's gonna. It, yeah, I it think it's going will. to. I think it's going to take. We're we're gonna have some PTSD from this one though. Yeah, not to mention like COVID soaring its ass off right now. Yeah, but now that. President-elect Biden is going forward. No one's like even talking about it anymore. So, yeah, a, a lot of you makes a lot of it makes you wonder, you know, how much of it was hyperbolized and and sensationalized because of election year. I'm sure a lot of it was, you know, well, both yeah, sides. It's true, and I guess if you don't like your president and there's a pandemic, that's also just extraordinary situation. Yeah. But you're not. You don't get political on this podcast, do you? No, not really. Yeah, but should, I mean, we should steer away. No, it's, it's <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's fine. I mean, pretty straight up, middle of the road. You know, 
I think right. a lot of crazy stuff on both sides, you know, that <laughs> I think ideas that don't even that. go together. People are like, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, there's enough, there's enough people talking about that anyways. Yeah, there are. And some of them are telling the truth. Really? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a link. Okay, sweet. I found it on 4chan. Nice. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Dude, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it a lot. It's been a hell of a lot of fun. Agreed. Glad to be here. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll tell the people soon about, uh, about our other stuff coming up. Hell yeah. Sweet, dude. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I loved it. I love that guy. I'm glad he was here. I really appreciated him opening up the way that he did. And thank you guys for listening. Come back, check us out again. Follow us on Instagram at South of Scruffy. Go to the Patreon page and support us there. That's important. That keeps us, keeps the lights on here. And we appreciate that a lot. That's uh, patreon.com forward slash South of Scruffy. Send me an email, South of Scruffy at gmail.com. Take care of each other as we come into the Christmas season, the holiday season. I love you guys. Thanks for taking care of me. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you real soon. Matt Honkinen, play me out.